Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Just a quick message before we start, everyone. This is Sam. We are hosting a live event in London on Tuesday, the 25th of October at a pub a lovely little place called the Marylebone Bar on Marylebone High Street, London, W1. And we would love for you to join us. There's going to be guests, including magazine legend James Brown, musician and writer Johnny Dorks, who was on the show quite recently. Both of them talking about their new books and more besides. There will also be a DJ set from Theo Delaney, my big brother from the Johnny Friendly radio show. There'll be free Heineken Zeros, if that's your thing. If not, there'll be a bar as well for proper booze. Me and Dan Foley will be there doing a live Q&A. It'll be lovely to get together. If you want to buy tickets, they're seven quid, five pound if you're a member of Reset Extra. And all proceeds go to Calm, a wonderful mental health charity called the Campaign Against Living Miserably. If you want to buy a ticket, then go to my Twitter at Delaney Man to find out more. Cheers. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the man behind anonymous Twitter account, The Secret Drug Addict. It's an account which I've followed and enjoyed for a while now and offers the sort of no-nonsense, to the point, sometimes funny, always helpful advice on addiction and mental health that has The Reset written all over it. It's got over 30,000 followers already and is growing fast and I wanted to know more about the mysterious man behind it. So I was very chuffed that he agreed to be a guest on the pod. And I found his story really compelling. I'll let him tell you more. The Secret Drug Addict. Welcome to The Reset. How's it going, Sam? You good? I'm very good, thanks very much. And I really appreciate you spending the time to talk to me today. Um, the Secret Drug Addict is, a, you know, I, I came across it as a really popular, fun, but, you know, sort of helpful Twitter account. Um why did you start it and you know what, what why is it that you keep it anonymous um i'm glad you find it fun and helpful yeah <laughs> um basically i was i was some friends with um neville southall mm. the footballer the ex-footballer who's played for the, the, the greatest goalkeeper of all time 
in between the summer mass. And, yeah. and 1987, apparently he was, yeah. yeah. A little bit before my uh, my time, but I kind of remember right. him in the early 90s, mid-90s. Um, but yeah, so Nev, Nev's a friend of mine, and um, he found himself with quite a big Twitter following. Mm. And Neville is not, he's not someone that re- is really interested in kind of keeping himself in the public eye. So he doesn't use his Twitter for any sort of PR or marketing. He just has it. And he kind of posts pictures of like kittens and stuff, just dark stuff. Anyway, so he found himself with this big following and kind of was like, you know what, I could do something with it. Mm. Kind of got talking and, and, um, and came up with the idea of, of doing takeovers. So I said that I would do one. So I set up, my, so I, my, I set up my secret drug addict account and um, and would take over his Twitter account once a week for four hours in the evening and just talk about addiction and mental health and mm. signpost people and talk to people and stuff. And we kind of saw that it it was popular. People were engaging with it. I, I was getting followers. And um, then we thought, you know, we could expand it to other good causes. So I, I sort of organize a couple of different charities or campaigners or people that are maybe um, trying to draw attention to some sort of good cause. And we, we let them take over Nev's account and um, talk to his, his audience, basically. Uh, well, it's a fantastic thing. And, and uh, you know, I've long thought Neville Southall is, is a truly great man. Certainly was my era of football. Brilliant keeper, even better bloke. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, a, no, it's, it's a good part. It's a but, wonderful, um, wonderful collaboration. And and had you already sort of, um, you know, been quite public about you know mental health, addiction, helping other people, or was this sort of the beginning of that for you? Yeah, no. I mean, I was ten years sober, about ten years, ten and a half years, maybe when I set the account up. So I'd already been, you know, I'd already been in recovery for a, quite a long time. Um, and I've always been very public, or maybe not public is the one, honest mm. about um, my 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 sort of issues around addiction and and stuff. You know, I was I was quite publicly inactive addiction. You know, people. You know, I was always doing drugs and drinking, mm. and um, so people that stuff was quite common. So people weren't surprised to find that it wasn't like something I'd be doing in secret. Mm. You know, so um, so by the same token, when I stopped, I was quite honest about about that. I mean, the reason I'm secret on Twitter, and you know, I've got a few friends that um, that know that I do it. You know, they know who I am. I've met people through the the account, and we've become friends, and they know who I am. My main there's sort of two reasons for um, remaining secret, maybe three. One is it allows me a freedom to just say whatever I want, you know, because there's no comeback to me because no one knows who I am really. Yeah. Um, the second one is that I um, I, I I don't want to be I didn't want to be Twitter famous. I didn't want to be like a you know someone whose entire personality is kind of defined by their social media presence. You know, I'm generally quite a private person. So if I wasn't talking about that on Twitter, I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be on Twitter. I don't really have much else to say about myself. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? About my, yeah. you know, I'm not someone who uses Twitter to like journal 
Yeah. Um, you know, I post sort of daft newspaper articles. That's kind of the stuff I'm into if I'm not talking about like addiction. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I didn't want it to kind of define who I am. You know, you're that guy, you know, because I meet people and they, I get talked to how I do this thing and they go, oh, I follow you or I've seen you. And I'm kind of in my head, I'm kind of part of me, kind of, of course you have because I'm Twitter famous. But the reality <laughs> is they don't know who I am. And so with that, there, there's like um, like a forced humility. Do, yeah. do, do, you know, do you know what I mean? You know, for the amount of followers I have or the amount of engagement I get, my ego will kind of attach to that. And, yes. and that stuff isn't real. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, Twitter could decide to take my account down tomorrow. <laughs> and if I am allowing myself to be defined by the amount of followers I have or, the you know, the engagement I get on Twitter, the amount of likes something, you know, one of my posts got, then I think I'm kind of in a bit of a, a tricky place. Do, do you know what I mean? And, um, and yeah, I just, I didn't, I just, I'm quite uncomfortable with the idea of, of using sort of addiction or mental health as as a vehicle to kind of promote me yeah that makes sense you, you, yeah. you know. um there's a there's the more longer i've been on twitter the more i see it and especially the last couple of years it's becoming more and more prevalent you know there's yeah. quite a lot of um there's, there's you know there's an addiction community or a recovery community mm. on twitter and some of them you can just see I think anyway, from the, you know, what they're, the content they're posting, the, that it's more about trying to be sort of famous. Yeah. 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 You know, and yeah. I find that kind of uncomfortable and I, I can be um, just as guilty of that, but because I can't post pictures of myself because I can't say certain things, it kind of forces me to, yeah. to, to not run with it. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, otherwise, I'd be posting pictures every day of like a before and after. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, people yeah. Love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, they're the main, because people kind of go, oh, I get it. I get why you're, you're secret because of the, the stigma of addiction. <laughs> yeah. and, you're, and I'm like, I'm, I'm 15 years sober now. Mm. Like, there's no stigma for me. Mm. It, you know, I think that... I think attitudes are changing slightly anyway, but if anything, the, the stigma is is probably in the first couple of years. You know, if you go, if I go to, if I go for a job interview, I, know I don't talk about it. It's not like I lead in job interviews or on, you know, first dates with this stuff. Mm. But, you know, if I said oh, I'm in, I'm 15 years sober, I don't think I would not get the job. If I went for a job and said I'm four months sober, yeah, maybe, there's yeah, maybe yeah. cars they won't kind of go. Do you know what? There's the office keys. These are the codes. <laughs> these are the security code to get in. Do you know what I mean? When yeah. you're locking up. So the, that that stigma, I think, genuinely lies in, in in early recovery. You know, people now kind of said, "Well, you've, you're cured. Oh, you must be cured. You've like you're done. You've kind of you know, and you know they they obviously they don't understand addiction to you know, mm. but um. But yeah, so it's you know for me it's it's not it's not about the the sort of stigma, it's more yeah. about the kind of other stuff and also as well you know if you're private or you're secret, you can kind of control how much people know about you. You can control some of that stuff. You can keep some stuff private, which I think is quite quite important. Do, do you know what I mean? Sounds like you've you've approached it with a lot of the sort of lessons from recovery with regards to. Your ego, really, and and uh, and, yeah, and the threat that composed to your to your sobriety and your health. You know? uh, absolutely, but I think that that comes again with 
being, you know, 10 years sober, 10 years mm. in recovery when I set it up, you know, I think, um, a lot, I think, you know, some of the people that set accounts up and they, you know, I just want to help people and they kind of get kind of going, you're four months sober, you're eight months sober, just mm. look after yourself. Mm. You don't need mm. to be worried about helping other people. It's great that you want to, you know, maybe by helping yourself, you might indirectly help other people when they see you as an example of, of what recovery can be or, or whatever. But um, I just think, yeah, you know, in early recovery, you kind of, you can have trouble with your ego. I mean, you can in later recovery, let's be honest. Do you know what I mean? But if you're unaware of it, you know, it's like, um, I think, you know, social media, especially social media and gambling, I think are probably the two most kind of refined forms of addiction. You know, like, you know, like alcohol is alcohol and it basically hasn't changed in hundreds of years. Right. And, you know, drugs, you know, cocaine, whatever, you know, drugs, uh, opiate-based, these drugs have been around for a long, long time. Some people get addicted to them, some people get very addicted to them, some people don't become addicted to them and just use drugs. The gambling industry and and social media are, they always want to find new ways to get you more engaged in their products. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Be it like fixed odds betting or, you know, social media, you know, when Facebook introduced the like button. Yes. You know, Stuff like that, stuff that just, you know, when they start showing you content, they think that, you know, when the algorithms work on what content they think you've engaged with, so they want you to, you'll probably want to see more of this stuff. They want to keep you there. So when I think sometimes, you know, you can post something on social media and people engage with it. And what's happening is, is that I'm give, I give them some of my pain and then they engage with it. And my, the endorphins in my head start popping. And suddenly I'm connecting my pain to kind of positive endorphin, like an endorphin rush. Yeah. So I start giving more of my pain. I become yeah. more vulnerable to, you know, to a point where it's maybe not dishonest, but maybe it's inappropriate. Maybe it's, maybe I shouldn't sit in that. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? But, but because of the engagement, because of the followed, because of all that sort of stuff, it can get very, um, complicated it's difficult though because sharing is what you know we're, we're supposed to do passing on everything that you learn in Absolutely. Some way. It's like and it's, it's always that part of that is always gonna be is sort of it's interesting you say it because if i'm honest it's like yeah part of that is always it is gonna make you feel good if you feel mm -hmm. like it's helping people and then you start to think oh no is this just another form of like valid like seeking validation yeah yeah, I mean, and it's for, it's 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 for you as an individual to kind of mm. navigate that and work, you know, work within that. But for me, it's kind of like, you know, why are you, you know, why are you sharing that? Yeah, do, do, do you know what I mean? I, you know, I, you know, I always kind of, I always question myself in in certain, why did I do that? What was I hoping to achieve by that? When I tell people, you know, in early recovery, I talk, I maybe would talk about um, some of the bands I worked with, and maybe I didn't need to. Do, do you know what I mean? But maybe. Mm. I'm, I'm dropping some of these names because I know it's going to like impress people. It's going to, it's feeding my ego. Do, do you know what I mean? When people, people would be just going, Oh, I love that band. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked for them. We were friends. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm. And it's like, it's just trying to find, uh, you know, the path where it's like, this is appropriate. This is helping people. And I'm posting stuff on Twitter, for example, and getting vulnerable. Am I doing it because it's helping somebody or am I doing it because a thousand codependents click like on it? 
Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not helping. I don't think that's helping. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's for me. That's not That's not for you. I'm yeah. doing it for me, you know? So it's... um. Yeah, it's you know, it's 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 a so every, every day we're walking the line with this sort of stuff. I mean, it speaks a lot to me because I do this and and yeah. you know and and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm listening to you and thinking, yeah, shit, I I don't reflect on this stuff enough. I'm I'm putting content out there under the guise of it being helpful to others, but at the end of the day, you're putting it out there. Do you know what I mean? And and I can't lie, you do. When people get in touch, you feel happy if they say this was really helpful to me. Thank you. Mm. And you do, I like to think you feel happy in a completely kind of altruistic way, but also you feel, ah, you feel good. You think I'm doing good here. I'm going to yeah, do that yeah, again. I mean, a little bit of ego is fine. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We're human beings. Do, do you know what I mean? I'm not, yeah. I'm not Jesus. You know, <laughs> I, I like, you know, I get messages. For example, like I've seen, you know, I'll, I'll get inboxes from people and say, oh, you know, you, I'm a year sober. I'm six months sober. Thanks for all your help. Yeah. Some, some people are people I've, you know, mm. been in contact with maybe on the phone to maybe sometimes I'm meeting for coffee or just, you know, inboxes or whatever. Some people I've never, I've, I, I sort of scroll up looking for, I don't know, don't recognize the person's name. And there's no, it's somebody I've never spoken to, never interacted with like the mm. DMs. They've just seen the daft stuff that I post and whatever, something's resonated and they've, you know, they've yeah. took responsibility for whatever's wrong with them and addressed it. But I see some people on Twitter like screenshotting these kind of messages, blocking out the name of the person, but then tweeting it. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Who's this for? Really? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know? Absolutely, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So when people come and go, oh, you were really helpful, that I really appreciate it. I'm kind of well, yeah, because I, I know I know what I'm talking about. I'm a, mm. you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm a recovery master. But <laughs> I know that's me being a prick. I know that's my <laughs> ego. And I quash it quite quite mm. quickly do, do, do you know what i mean but you kind of see and you see people doing so i mean i'm just grateful that um i mean when i got sober i think the only social media was myspace mm. i mean i think myspace was the only thing kicking around. maybe facebook had just started but um so i sort of missed being able to do all that stuff in early recovery yeah. and and sort of because I'm sure I'm exactly the same as everyone else is doing. No, you're right. That absolutely is the is the risky period, isn't it? The first couple of years, and apart just from everything else, the daft content out, and you, you just know, don't know whether you're coming or going. No, you got no idea. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you but you think you know. It's like mm. I remember in my first maybe first six months, meet you know meeting guys that were like two years sober. I go, wow, they're two years sober. Mm. I now see these guys talk about our paths still cross, and I'm like, I wouldn't ask them to put the chairs out in the meeting for me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But at the time, I'm like, these people, they know, they got it. Mm. You, do, do you know what I mean? Or, or I remember I totally guy, know, yeah. The guy was ten years sober once doing a chair. I'm like, I, I couldn't have been more than six months, and I just sat there and was like, ten years without drinking or doing drugs. Mm. Just blew, it blew my mind. You know, and I'm, now I'm, you know, I'm coming up to, you know, 16 years. You so, know. mate, can I can I take you back to yeah. to you, to your to begin of your story? Uh, as you mentioned, you've worked in the music industry for many years, and I'm I'm assuming I'm, uh, you know, that that went hand in hand with you developing, you know, a bit of a hedonistic lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I'd 
I got into music quite young. I've all, to be honest, I've always been into music since I've collected records since I was six or seven years old. You know, I remember, you know, the first record I ever bought was um, the Beastie Boys, uh, Girls, She's Crafty, double A sided, yeah. seven inch. I've still got it. Um, so, I've, you know, I've always been into music. And uh, I think I must have been maybe 10. My cousin gave me um, a 12 inch copy of um, Lazy Ice by the Happy Mondays. And it just it just kind of fried my head. I'd never heard you know, it was like the Happy Monday. I think they, they've called on the 12 inch, they got Carl Denver singing on it and this this old sort of country singer. And it's it was just the maddest record. It was two people singing two different songs at the same time. And, you know, I hadn't, I just I hadn't heard music like this before. It, kind of, it, just, it just fried my head and I kind of got, became obsessed with them. And, um, and just started hanging. I, I remember, I, I, you know, the kids, the kids that I went to school with, there was indie music. This is like sort of, so this is, maybe 1990 now um you know so it's pre-brit pop it wasn't alternative music wasn't particularly common mm. so if you you see someone at school that was like had a band t-shirt on or had a copy of the enemy you'd kind of sort of gravitate towards them and kind of you'd become friends yeah so i ended up becoming friends with guys that were a few years above me in uh, in school just simply because we were the only guys that were into kind of alternative music so um one of them is a guy called daryl alcan who's now a pretty big dj um i think he's just produced the duran duran late latest duran duran album and runs a record company and stuff and um so i just started going to clubs with these six formers i think i was like i was like 12 <laughs> I got pubs and clubs with these yeah. the older lads. And um and then, you know, the music industry was very, you know, the alternative music industry was very small. So I just started bumping into musicians and people who managed bands and you know, people who worked at record companies and and just kind of found myself at the age of like 13, 14, leaving school and working in the music industry. So I kind of bounced around, you know, management companies. Worked at Sony with um, Muff Winwood from Spence Davis Group. Um, ended up, you know, worked at Creation Records. So, you know, worked obviously worked with with Alan and Dick, and um, you know, working with Primal Scream and Oasis and Super Fairy Animals was, you know, was there in that that period where you know of, of peak Britpop years, I suppose. Mm. And um, and it's it's funny because I, I didn't really understand, I didn't really realise at the time how um how much of my myself i allowed to become sort of defined by what i did you know which which is another reason why i you know when i decided to set up the sort of twitter account i was kind of like you know what i've got no interest in in this being under my name or or whatever because you know when you allow something to kind of define you like that when it kind of ends as as all things do everything ends at some point you're kind of left not knowing who you are yeah do, do you know what i mean like people would introduce me they'd kind of go oh, this is sam oh sam this is my mate he, he works for oasis yeah so everywhere i went i was like and I, and you know what it's i couldn't i couldn't deal with it if i'm honest you know i grew up on a you know i grew up on a council estate and you know as, 
quite a minimal education. As I say, I left school very young. And, um, you know, you, it's the common, I suppose the common narrative is, is people, you know, you, people can't deal with failure. Do, do you know what I mean? They, you know, yeah. I couldn't deal with success. Mm. I didn't know how to handle that. And I was always every, I mean, I'm still kind of like it now. Whenever stuff's going well, I struggle to enjoy it. Cause I'm like, it's going to, it's going to be taken from me. Mm. It's going to end and, it, and everything does end. And you know, this is something I, I I'm, I'm having to learn to accept, you know, even if it ends through death, it's going to, there's going to be a definitive ending to it. Yeah. Right. But, um, is that I was just, you know, when I, especially when I was working for creation, because creation was, you know, it was such a buzz working there. I was so, every day I was so terrified that it was going to find someone better than me, that I was going to be found out that they, you know, they wouldn't want me. And, um, and when you're like, I must've been 16, 17 when I was there. It was, um, it was just horrific just horrific like people will say to me now if i you know when i talk because I, I talk about it you know i talk about the old days sometimes i'm not one of those people that tend you know that lives in the past mm. but people that kind of go oh, must have been amazing and i sort of take a moment and it's like do you know what it was all right it was all right there were some fun times i spent quite i spent an equal amount of time anxious doing too many drugs and self-harming thinking about killing myself. So there was kind of, it kind of counterbalanced, you know, you'd be out at like, um, I remember being at the after show for Be Here Now. Mm. And it was, you know, I'd worked with indie bands up until, you know, like before that. And then the after show party was at the Roundhouse. Right. Which kind of shows you sort of the, yeah. the size of, you know, the, I'd been working with big indie bands that would play to like 2,000 people. Do you know what yeah. I mean? They'd be doing like the, you know, they'd be doing the forum. They'd be doing those kind of Brixton Academy, maybe. And then suddenly you're, you're amongst it with like a, a proper, proper band and these huge parties. And I remember being at the after show party and the, the, I think the Verve had supported. So, you know, they're, they're mooching about and Helena Christiansen, the model was there and stuff. And I'm like 18, maybe, you know, with the drugs and, you know, it was, Four or five hours later, I'm sat at home cutting myself. Mm. So it's like, you know, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with supermodels on, you know, last Saturday whilst I'm making sure that my T-shirt is pulled down so no one can see the, the cuts on my arms. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It was just, I just wasn't, I just couldn't deal with it. On m multiple levels, I couldn't deal with the success. I couldn't deal with the possibility of failure. I just didn't have the... Um, the emotional kind of capacity or resilience. And I was so young, I didn't even understand why I felt the way that I, um, I did. And you, and you weren't encouraged to talk about stuff then, I don't think. It was a different, it was a different time. <laughs> yeah, and no, it was a very sort of laddie time. I imagine working at a place like that as well, everyone's at it, so it seems very normalised. And you don't want yeah. to be the first one to put your hand up and say, actually, I'm struggling here. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I grew up I grew up on an estate. I grew up with kids that... that, that did drugs they grew up with kids that sold drugs i went to work all i ever did was work i didn't work i'd never worked anywhere else my first job was 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 you know was working at a management company mm. do, do you know what i mean so i'd never i'd never seen anybody you know for me people that didn't have a drug problem 
with people that just did a, a bit of coke, got pissed a couple of times a week, a week, and 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 smoked weed every day. They they were people that had their shit together. Yeah. Did you know what I mean? I, I yeah. you know, it, it that that was you know they they were they were and there was only a few of them that was like that. I mean, I remember um, the the head of press at uh, uh, Creation, uh, Andy Saunders. Mm. Um, was I think he must have been, he, he might have only been a couple of years sober. He might have been a year sober or two when I started work. I can't remember. He was very new in sobriety. Anyway, he's still sober to to, to this day, and. Um, he was the only person I knew that didn't drink. The yeah. only person. And I remember at the time we were like, this is weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's like a weird guy, <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, it just, you know, everybody, everybody was drinking. Everybody it was, we was all young. I think that was, that was the thing. Young people like to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's a point in there where you, without you even noticing it, you're getting older and it's out of control and it's no longer about having, it started out as having fun. And then is that what happened with you? You kind of realized this is, I don't have control. No, I, think it was, I think it was pretty much always like that. Yeah. I think that very early for maybe 14 to 18, it 14 to 17, something like that. It wasn't problematic in the sense that, I mean, I would stay, you know, I could, I would often be found, sat outside creation the office you know the officers like especially mm. when they moved up to regents park road mm. um with a can of of red stripe still from the night before whilst you know whilst the office manager was turning up to uh, uh, you know open the office up mm. but i could do it i could physically get no sleep get through a day at work <laughs> you, you know I, I you know i was young mm. but i think that my mental health deteriorated very quickly i think by 20 you know by 20 i was in i was in quite serious trouble with addiction i was in quite serious trouble with mental health was becoming more and more obsessed with like suicide or hurting myself and i think i it was i didn't do it on purpose because say because everybody was doing drugs there was nothing it wasn't like i was ashamed of doing drugs it wasn't like i was embarrassed everyone we all drank we all did drugs mm. but it was kind of like hiding in plain sight mm. because everybody else was doing it but what I've kind of learned, one of the things I've learned in recovery is, is that where I'm different from other people that maybe drink or do drugs is that when I stopped drinking or doing drugs, like before, you know, long-term, you know, before I got into recovery, I, I would get worse. You know, like, you know, they, you know, they, 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 it, you know, for me, it was kind of, you know, medicinal. So, other people stop me going, I'm having, a week, I'm having a week off. I'm having, you know, I'm doing like dry January or whatever. Mm. I would be, I would be ill with it. I would be like all over the place. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm. You know? So initially that stuff, it, it, it was, it was incredibly helpful. I, I do believe that, that drugs probably saved my life. You know, I think that I would have probably tried to have killed myself, um, in my teens, like seriously, rather than just, you know, a lot of self-harm and thinking about it, if I hadn't been doing drugs, because it allowed me to kind of just get through some days, I think. Yeah. You know? But um, by, by sort of by 2021, I kind of knew that there was something wrong and, there was, and, and the way that I did drugs and how they affected me was different to other people. I just didn't understand 
in in what way exactly? So at what point did you, how long did it take and at what point was it that you thought, I need help? Well, I'd gone for help. I remember the GP referred me to drug services in my late teens. And I remember going along. I don't remember too much about it. I was doing a lot of drugs at the time. <laughs> so that's <laughs> a bit vague. Mm. But um, I've still, I'm still, I'm a bit of a hoarder. I keep stuff. Mm. So um, a couple of years ago, I was going through some papers and I found letters from the drug services and stuff. Was, and, you know, but they mentioned things like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine. Mm. I'm like, because for years I was like, fuck, I wish someone had told me about these things. And then I found this letter and it's like, obviously I didn't read it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, wasn't, I wasn't in the place where I was receptive to it. Um, and then, I mean, I'd been, I, I'd, been in, I'd been in some form of therapy off and on since I was like seven. Mm. I was in the Tavistock as a kid and then dropped out of that at maybe 10 years old, was back into, you know, drug services and, and the GP and stuff in my late teens. And then went back again, uh, maybe 22, 23. And so I was engaging with community drug project and was having therapy and stuff. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Often, was, you know, seeing the drug counselors there, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't really understand addiction, and I wasn't ready to stop. I understood there were certain drugs that would keep me up for days, and and were, was would make me incredibly ill. You know, so if I, you know, if I was, you know, if I was sniffing or smoking coke, mm. I, I, you know, I could be up for three or five days, and there was quite visible negative consequences to that. Do, do you know what I mean? You know. Um, health-wise, mental health-wise. Smoking skunk every day, I found quite helpful. So I didn't really see, even though that was one, that's the only, probably, that's probably one of the few substances I've ever sold possessions for. I didn't see it as a problem, really, because it kept me indoors, it kept me away from people, I slept, I ate, I could just, you know, I could sit. I could sit in the house and just watch movies all day, and just be in this like a safe space. Yeah. But I never saw. Even though at some point I was starting to get again, you know, I was starting to unravel kind of with anxiety and mental health issues with that. They were a lot more subtle than um, than the other drugs and and alcohol and stuff. So when they were sort, of, they were talking to me about sort of total abstinence, and I was like, I'm, I'm all right, but I'm all right with smoking. Though. Because they were like, no, you can't, you know, you can't do it. You know, you're going to go to rehab, you can't do that. And it was like, 
I'm not I'm not up for that. So I sort of fell out of it again and stopped going. And then I um some I, I like I would have these periods where I would sort of chop and change drugs because this one would become the problems I'd take this. And again, you know, they would always be, you know, the, whatever the new drug was would become a problem. And you know, I'd end up going back to the old one and I'd have mm. sort of, you know, I'd, I'd have an issue with two drugs and three, you know, three drugs. And, you know, and um, so it got to a point where I was sort of, I went again, I went back again to drug service and I was really good. My drugs worker um, was, was brilliant. It was, I actually found out he's following me on Twitter <laughs> and didn't, didn't tell me. Um, so I, I, I still, you know, we still, I contact him about once a year, maybe twice a year. And I sort of ask how his family are and I send him pictures of my kids and mm. stuff. We'd spend hours. I used to, I sure I drove him fucking mad. Spent hours seeing him over the, over years, getting really angry about what my, you know, what my parents have done to me, what, you know, what a prick my dad was, what, mm. you know, the, the, the girlfriend that I was seeing, what a nightmare she was, why she was driving me mad and my boss is a prick. All these, you know, all I do is go in and talk about other people. And you just be sitting there nodding and writing stuff down and kind of going, that must be really difficult for you, <laughs> right? And um, and I'd leave and the, there was a block of flats over there. The first thing I'd do was go, go over the block of flats and roll a joint. Mm. I'd be like wiping the tears away. I'd be, I got so agitated and angry. I'd be like crying in these sessions with him and I'd smoke a joint and just push everything back down. Mm. Just take a deep breath and go, right, now go and get on my day. So we never really got anywhere because I never really allowed myself to feel anything mm. or to kind of process stuff, you know. And But I was still going. I was still, you know, I was, I, I, didn't understand what was wrong with me, but I knew something was wrong with me and I knew that I didn't want to carry on how I was, but I just didn't understand what changes I needed to make. And then I was, I had a load of people around my house and um, we'd been out and we'd, we'd gone to a club, we'd met these two girls. And I think, I, you know, I'd been up for about three days at this point. And um, we're at this club, we met these two, two young, two girls, two women, and we invite them back to my place and a load of my friends who have been out in pubs and elsewhere all came back. So there was probably about, probably about 20 people in the gaff. And, um, and one of the, one of the girls overdosed and died. And I'd, I was still, I was still, I was still going to drug, you know, I was still engaged with my drugs worker and stuff. And, um, and yeah, and kind of, you know, seeing somebody kind of die, it's like, I don't know, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't really know how to kind of vocalise it. Do, do you know what I mean? I don't know how, I still sometimes get a little bit upset about it. You know, it was like she was a young mum. It was just, it just couldn't have been any shittier. And this was in your home and you actually saw her die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, she was, um, she was, she, you know, she went into respiratory failure. I remember being on the phone to the ambulance, you know, and whilst we're waiting for the ambulance, there was a load of Coke on the table and I'm, I can't even fucking deal with what's going on. I cannot even fucking mm. handle this shit. So I'm on the phone to the ambulance trying to get an ambulance out. 
and I'm trying to step over her to 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 do a line of, of gear because I can't I can't you know I'm fucking need a I need a line I can't be dealing with it so I've got the phone yeah. kind of under me, under me shoulder and as I'm trying to sort of step over her she's kind of you know she's in respiratory phase she's like she's having it looks like she's having a fit and she's like so she's kicking and stuff and and every time she kind of she every time I try and plant my foot she she's moving and um so I can't it's like I'm going to step on her. So I'm kind of trying to find somewhere to put my foot. And then she kicked the table and a, and a bottle of beer's gone over on all the gear. So mm. now I've got to deal with this. Like somehow at that moment, that appeared, that that apparently was incredibly important to me. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which, you know, obviously in the grand scheme, of the, in any scheme, it's not important. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's not important at all. But, I, I can't begin to deal, you know, I'm, I'm taking responsibility, you know, I'm trying to take responsibility and try and do what I can to help this girl and try and, but I, I just need, I just need to medicate myself. I just need a little line. I'll be all right. And that'll tide me over to, to deal with this problem. Mm. And, um, and everyone's kind of crowded around. And I remember kind of no one else was trying to fucking, no one else was trying to have a line. Yeah. No, this, this wasn't important. You know, my friends were all like degenerate drug users, a lot of them, like yeah. pretty much. But yeah, they none of them was trying to do. You know, none of them was was. I don't think any of them were thinking about the. I don't think any of them was worried about the coke evaporating because of the beer. I don't think you know they were concerned about what the, you know rightfully what what was a horrific kind of uh, incident. Yeah, and I remember just kind of looking around, kind of going, "This, what the fuck have I become? What am I become? Like, this ain't me." Do, do you know what I mean? And mm. And then, you know, she's, you know, everyone's, you know, people have started panicking, you know, she's died. People are panicking and people have just left. And they're like, people are wrapping up their, you know, everyone had drugs, everyone's wrapping their gear up and they're getting off. And they've um, just basically left me and my mate with this, you know, with this girl. And I just remember, you know, I'm sort of sitting there still, you know, you know still drinking and sniffing Coke, just waiting for the ambulance to turn up whilst this girl's kind of, you know, on the floor in my front room. And, um, and yeah, I, you know, I went back. I, I remember seeing my sort of drugs worker the following week and kind of just saying to him, you know, the amnesty's come. They tried to work on her. She, you know, they couldn't revive her. They, you know, they took her away. And um, I went to see my drugs worker. So I, 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 carry, I carried on doing, I remember I carried on doing drugs for a few days afterwards, just didn't sleep. So I'd been up for about six or seven days or something. I'd been up for right. a while. I, was, I remember someone coming around to see me and kind of being really worried about the way I looked. Because mm. uh, apparently I looked, I was, I was quite ill. I, was, I dropped it quite a lot of weight. I hadn't eaten in that time at all. And, you know, I was, I was not dealing with it. And then I went back to see my drugs worker and my next appointment like that, that week or whatever. And then and said to him, you know, this, I don't know who I am. This is not the person that I thought I was going to be. I, you know, I thought I was going to be David Geffen. I thought I was going to mm. be right. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was going to play up front for Arsenal and run a record company. This was, mm. this was the dream. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, and I'm now somebody that's kind of, you know, so obsessed with drugs that, you know, that something, you know, this is going on. And, and, I think that I just had a moment there where it was like, 
I genuinely need to, I'm, I'm in serious trouble. I genuinely, you know, I need to do something properly now. There's something, you know, this is something quite sort of life-changing has occurred. I've had this experience mm. and I, I can't, I can't pretend it's, I can't pretend it's not as bad as it, as it was. I can't, you know, I've had friends that have had nosebleeds. I've had friends that have had panic attacks from doing drugs. I've had friends that have drunk themselves to blackout and been, you know, been beaten up. I've had friends mm. that, you know, have been so drunk they've lost their their phone, their wallet, drink mm. driving. I had a friend who who killed himself, you know, drink driving. These these things kind of happen. Do, do you know what I mean? Not maybe not too often to too, but they happen to people. Yeah. They're not that abnormal. I don't know anyone else has had someone die in their house. No. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and it's like, you know what? I don't ever want to see that again. And more importantly than I don't ever want to see that again, I don't want to be part of somebody else's, somebody else's story where that's like that, oh, I died and I was revived in in, in his house. It's like, no, yeah. my house. I weren't there. Do, do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, I don't. I don't want to be part of any kind of stories with, with that kind of narrative and that, that stuff going on. And um, so, yeah, so I kind of, I didn't really know what to do. Cause like I said, you know, everybody I knew did drugs. Mm. Everybody I knew drank. As I say, if you was, if you didn't have a drug problem, it was cause you smoked skunk every day. Yeah. That was yeah. like, yeah. he ain't got a drug problem. He's got his shit together. Yeah. Like, he just sits in his pants in his mum's house all day smoking an ounce of skunk. <laughs> yeah. He, like, he's, like, he's got his life in contru- total yeah, yeah. control. He's, in, he's got, he's got <laughs> he's a male. Really he's just that, sitting yeah. there smoking a quarter of skunk a day playing <laughs> PlayStation. Do you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> and um, someone, I bumped into a, a, fr- a friend, a drug dealer friend of mine in, in, in North London um, coming out of a pub. And he said to me, you know, he said, hey, hey, you know, how are you doing? You're all right. And this was this was a couple of months after this 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 girl mm. died. And um I just said, you know, I'd been crying. I remember I had my hood up, I had a hoodie on, I had my hood up, and I'd been sort of crying, just wandering the streets. Mm. And um I sort of said to him, no, I'm, I don't I don't think I am. I don't think, I, I, I'm, no, I don't, I'm not. And I started sort of welling up again. Mm. And um, he took it. I remember he took his phone. He didn't say anything to me. He just like a bit like how I talk to sort of newcomers in meetings. Mm. You know, they sort of unload on you, and you know, rather than you kind of go, oh, "It must be really tough," you kind of just go, "Hmm, okay." Yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? I could, I could see how that would be. I could see how that would be a struggle for you. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't feed. He just didn't feed into it, and I was like waiting for a reaction. And all he did was took his phone out, and he stepped away from me. And he's, he's made a phone call. Now he's, you know, he was a. He sold drugs. He did this often yeah. when we were out. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking he's he's sorting he's sorting out a bit of work for later or whatever. And he's turned back to me and gone, right, I'm I'm taking you to a meeting. And I I didn't know what he meant. I didn't really understand where we were going. But you know he he had drugs on him. He was a drug dealer. He had yeah. drugs on him. I had no drugs on me, so I'm going with him. I, I'm like, <laughs> so I jumped in the car with him. And I remember we drove up to a. Um, a Narcotics Anonymous meeting over in um, Whitechapel or somewhere, somewhere in East London. And I remember we he's pulled the motor up and was sitting there smoking smoking skunk joints. And he's gone, yeah, the meeting's over there. And he's pointed at this, like, church. And I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not really sure I'm having this. Mm-hmm. And there's loads of geezers just turning up, all these lads turning up, hanging about outside the meeting, smoking. And, uh, you know, all Stone Island jackets and that all hugging each other. And then they've gone in. So 
he's gone, come on, we're meeting starting. So we've gone into this meeting and I, I don't, I don't really remember anything about it. If I'm honest with you, all I, all I remember, I, I remember the guy that did the main talk because I bumped into him a couple of years later and he, he like relapsed and he just, he just couldn't mm. get it. He was like, he, I think he was getting like 18 months, six months. He was bouncing back and forth. And I mean, I haven't seen him probably now for about 12 years. But in the meeting, he started talking about when he started, he couldn't stop. When he stopped, he couldn't stay stopped. When he did manage to stop for brief periods, he was always thinking about it. Mm. Uh, he was talking about unhealthy relationships with women. And um, I was like, I just remember kind of thinking, fuck. I thought I was the only person because I was the only person out of my mates. I'm pretty sure, like I said, they were all degenerate drug users, but none of them was as, was as bad as I was. Yeah. Yeah. And suddenly I'm kind of somewhere where it's like, maybe there's like a group of us that are all the same, but we're all the, we're all the individual in our own sort of yeah. social groups. Right. And I was like, fuck it. This is me. I thought I was the only one. And again, this is not language. You wouldn't go, you know, wouldn't, you wouldn't sit in a pub. I, I've always been quite honest with my friends. Um, about anything, but you wouldn't sit in a pub 15, 20 years ago and say, do you know what? I feel scared. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a, you know, I've, I've, you know, I, I didn't understand. I thought because I would fight anybody, no matter how many, how big they were, no matter how many of them there was, I would always be like, oh, sweet, I'll see you outside the pub in 10 minutes, five minutes. I'll just go out. Mm. I thought that meant I wasn't scared. Mm. I didn't realize that I was fucking terrified of everything. I was terrified of being of people thinking I was a coward. I was terrified mm. of people thinking I was weak. So I would rather, I'd rather get beaten up by a, a group of people than people think maybe, maybe he's scared. Yeah. Maybe he can't handle himself. Do, do you know what I mean? I didn't realize how much fear kind of ran through my my life and and my decision making do, do you know what i mean i wouldn't the idea of being able to talk to my friends and say oh the the reason i'm i'm horrible to my girlfriend when i'm saying when i was a teenager in my early 20s but you know and i was dread i was dreadful I had such bad i was just a dreadful boyfriend mm. was you know was because i was i was scared they would leave me yeah, I was scared that they didn't, they they wouldn't love me. I was scared they would find out that I'm, I'm, that, you know, they would, they would not they're scared they would, they would, they would meet someone better than me. Mm. So I would, I suppose, indirectly like gaslight them, mm. or just, you know, just treat them badly. Do, do you know what I mean? Be promiscuous, be aggressive, be. I was always angry. Do, do you know what I mean? I, to, to, I wouldn't be able to say that stuff and to say, do you know what? It's because I, I, I don't feel, I, I don't feel worthy. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, those kind of conversations you wouldn't have them. You couldn't admit stuff about yourself. I mean, it has been. You must have in in your fifteen years of sobriety, you must have witnessed such an immense change in just the way people communicate and talk about this stuff. Because when you first got sober in two thousand fifteen, uh, sorry, fifteen years ago, what's that like? Two thousand and seven. Yeah, it was a different world. Really, it must have been yeah. so much harder than it would be if you'd done it this year. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, these kind of conversations around, you know, mental health and stuff mm. just didn't, still weren't really taking place. You know, yeah. I think, but I think you have to be, I, I think there's a fine line, a bit like we were sort of talking about the social media stuff earlier. I think there's a fine line with it where it becomes like, 
a bit, so it can become self-indulgent. Yeah. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's like when someone says to you, oh, you're bumping something in the street, so hey, you know, how are you doing, Sam? You're all right. You kind of go, actually, I'm not. I'm having a really bad time. You're like, fucking hell, Sam. I was only asking yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't mean it. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a bit, there's a time where you kind of go, Do you know what? I've got some issues. And I'm going to kind of, I mean, I suppose it's that kind of discover, uncover, discard stuff. Do, do you know mm. what I mean? You know, where it's like, I'm feeling, you know, I've been having some panic attacks recently. I don't, you know, why, right? So it's like, okay, I, um, I just go with it. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, why am I, you know, trying to work out what's causing them, and then just, you know, address that and then move on. Yeah, do you know what I mean, and try and, you know, I, I think that otherwise you can, we can sometimes get caught up with, with talking about our mental, how how bad our mental health is. Yeah, me, and it kind of becomes to sort of define you can be you become defined by these things, and I think that can be quite a negative. Do do, do you know what I mean? I think there's a place to be honest and to kind of communicate and share, but then you also kind of have to work through stuff and build up some sort of you know you know try and work on your emotional resilience. Yeah, and and just just lastly, I mean. How do you, you must get, because of your Twitter account, you must get so many people reaching out to you for help. Is that difficult, you know, knowing how to respond, being able to respond, you know, and and knowing the right thing to say? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there is a massive responsibility with it. I mean, I... I get I get a lot of messages. I, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, I saved hundreds, I've saved thousands of lives. <laughs> I mean, I probably have. No, <laughs> no, no. But do you know what yeah, I mean? I've been, yeah. you know, I've, I've been helping people in either you know in a twelve step setting or or online for you know 15, 15 years, fourteen years mm. for just turning up and putting chairs out at meetings to go into coffee with other people in early recovery mm. to, to now. Do, do you know what I mean? So you know, hundreds of people have kind of crossed my path. Some have. I've probably helped. Some have probably hindered. Some have probably still resentful at me for something I said to them. You know what mm. I mean? But, but there's definitely a huge responsibility. I mean, I've, you know, I've I've worked in the recovery sector. I've worked, at, you know, I've worked in, you know, I've worked at addiction charities. I've, you know, I've done mental health first aid. I've done so. I'm kind of, you know, fairly, and and also, I'm, you know, I'm in long term recovery. My, my partner is also in long-term recovery. Do you know what I mean? We met in recovery, we had kids in recovery. So, you know, between us, we've kind of got like 30 years of mm. recovery. So I have some experience, but like, for example, I see stuff, you know, you see stuff on Twitter or on, or on, on Instagram. I mean, they love it on Instagram as well. And that's kind of mm. well-being stuff. And they'll be like, um, oh, you know, if, if, if you've relapsed, just, you know, just don't use today. You're, you know, I believe in you, you're strong enough. And it's like, Firstly, you don't know me. I find it mm. stuff fucking condescending. Do you know what I mean? Right? Mm. I, I appreciate you just trying to say something helpful, but it's it's it, it, there's no meaning to it. There's no depth mm. to it. Secondly, anyone that's been in recovery for any kind of period of time understands that recovery's got nothing to do with strength. Mm. Got nothing to do with being strong. Do you know what I mean? Just like um, relapse has nothing to do with being weak. If you've relapsed, it's because you you don't accept the problem. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Totally, right? yeah. Re- recovery doesn't require strength or being strong. What recovery requires is, is patience and acceptance. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you, um, you might be three months 
sober or six months sober, and you might not quite be feeling how you, you think you should be feeling yet. Well, no, you might not. You might have to accept it's going to take a little bit longer than that. Yeah. You didn't get into this situation overnight. You're not getting out of it overnight. If anything, it, it was probably it was probably a, it was probably years of incre- of incrementally getting worse before yeah. you realised you had a problem. So it's going to be the same getting out of the situation. And if you accept that you are a, a drug addict or you have addiction issues or whatever you know you're an alcoholic, whatever term you you want to use to define yourself, then no matter how bad it gets, you won't ever go back to that substance. Or behave, do you know what I mean? It's like most people I know, or a lot of people I know, that struggle with it in recovery end up killing themselves before, you know, rather than using again, because they know that they can't go back to that. They know that that, that drug or whatever does not, it's not going to work for mm. them. And they, they can't deal with how they feel. So they end up unfortunately killing themselves. Mm. But if you know that you're an alcoholic and you accept what an alcoholic is, you know you can never go back to drinking alcohol, no matter how bad you feel. Mm. So therefore, you're kind of propelled to do whatever you have to do to not drink today. And that might be locking yourself in your bedroom in the fetal position, crying, just like cry wanking, doing whatever the fuck (laughs) it is, going to a meeting, maybe, you know, getting on the phone to somebody, doing whatever it is that is required to not drink today and then wake up tomorrow and you know see how you feel maybe you have to do the same again maybe maybe you don't but um but yeah you see a lot of people on social media kind of saying stuff and they and it's just stuff they've heard again i hear it in media yeah yeah yeah. people just say stuff they've heard platitudes yeah Yeah, they hear stuff they hear they hear people say something and they go yeah that must that must be right Mm. and therefore they they say it Do, do you know what i mean and it's just and i understand it's this they're trying to come from a good place or it's at that point in their recovery, that's what they understand to, to be the truth. Do, do mm. you know what I mean? But I just think, yeah, you know, cause this isn't, cause people keep saying to me like, um, so how's, you know, what's going on with Twitter? Twitter's getting really busy. You know, you know, yeah, it's doing all right. You know, picked up a couple thousand followers or this or that. You're like, oh, you, have you monetized it yet? What are you doing? You're making money out of it. Mm. Like, well, no. And they go, why not? I said, well, I don't, I can't. Like how, mm. How do I? Now I've had, I've had therapists and I've had rehabs offer me money to um, for referrals, mm. right? So if anyone listening doesn't understand, basically, you know, you you get in touch with me and we start talking and you kind of go, you know, I'll struggle. I'm saying, well, have you thought about th- have you thought about rehab? Mm. Oh no, I haven't actually. Go well, you know, there's a really great rehab over in you know over in Western Supermare. Do you know? I think you'd be perfect for it. Yeah. Well, nah, you, you know, I get you into that rehab, ten, that costs you 10 grand. Yeah. I get a grand out of that. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that rehab wasn't the best place for you. Yeah. Maybe you haven't had experience there. Maybe you come away from it and kind of go, do you know what? Recovery is not for me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into that. Or the same with a, a, a therapist. I put, you in, I put you in touch with a therapist. Was that the best therapist for you? Or yeah. is that because that therapist has given me 500 quid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? If I was doing, like, clothes, I could put any old shit on. And then they go, hey, just use, you know, use use the code secret drug addict for 20% off. It doesn't matter. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's just clothes or it's just a, a product. But, you know, 
people, you know, people die from this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Long term, you know, there can be long term negative like consequences to giving people bad information. So there is, there is a there is a big responsibility, I think. And um, I try to, you know, I understand that I'm not always right. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? I've done you know, worked in and around recovery, and you know, for a long time there, but I still don't have all the answers. And mm. some people, you know, in, you know, even though I think it might work for them, maybe something else will. Do, mm. do, do you know what I mean? But I, I do. I do try and take it. I do take it seriously. I try and take it seriously. I do take it seriously, and I do. Um, I don't just kind of do it as like, uh, like I said earlier, like you know, to be Twitter famous, to be a Twitter thing. But it has kind of taken a life of its own. Yeah. It's well. Like, yeah. Like I said at the start, mate, it's a it's a great thing. It is. It's in. What I like about it is I do think it's extremely important the way in which people communicate about this stuff because it makes a huge difference and. Um, a lot of it, it can be a bit earnest or condescending. That's something yeah. that that your content never is. And you got and you got you got to be fun with it. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's totally. like you know, people go and go and oh, you know, I, when I tweeted something, some something daft the other week about you know about being you know people people thinking I'd be boring when I stopped drinking yeah. drugs. And it's like no, I'm boring because my personality's boring. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Because you got yeah. to be stupid. You got you know, it's like it's. I think I just think there's to be a bit of kind of humanity and a bit of a, you know, as much as I sort of try and take myself out of the account, a bit of personality. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, the, the biggest inspiration to me when I was getting sober was the people I knew who were sober, but who still seemed interesting or funny mm. or basically hadn't gone super serious, which yeah. is what I was worried sobriety would be like. Yeah. So the fact that there's people out there like you is a big inspiration to a lot of people who are like thinking, fucking hell, do I have to become like a really serious weirdo? I mean, it's one of the biggest stumbling, it's one of the biggest obstacles in a, a lot of people's minds when they're considering it, you know? Yeah, um, well, there's so much time, isn't there? I suppose when you're, you know, this is a, a lot of the stuff when people message me, they're kind of, you know, if you're drinking excessively or doing drugs excessively, it's, it's very time consuming. Yeah. But when you stop, it's like when I stopped smoking. When I stopped smoking, I kept pulling tenors out of pockets. Kept just finding tenors. <laughs> you know, it was like free money. After yeah. about three months, I was used to spending that money and then I wasn't finding tenors anymore. Yeah. But it's like when you stop drinking or doing drugs, you've just got so much spare time. Yeah. And it's like, what do you do with that time? It's a real, you know, because otherwise you end up sitting around the house just like bouncing off walls. Yeah. Or, and you know, and you see, you have to kind of fill that time constructively. You also have to, within it, learn to sit still. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't it's become just, addicted to some new distraction. Yeah, yeah. You which can't certainly does like, happen to me from time to time, and that and that plays back into what you said about social media. That can become your thing, can't it? Because you you can't just sit about. It's a process. Do, do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like when people talk about relapse. Yeah. You know? It's like how do you define a relapse? Do you know what I mean? There's obviously the ones from drink and drugs, which is the ones that I, you know, when I talk mm. about my abstinence, you know, the 15 years, 5,000 days, or whatever it is. Mm. But I get locked into like, like bidding wars on eBay. Yeah. Stuff, the stuff I don't need. Uh, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You know, I'm inactive. I mean, I'm in the, you know, my, my behaviors are, 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 are inactive addiction at that point. Do, do you know yeah. what I mean? When I'm buying trainers, I don't need. Yeah. Or, or, you know, stuff like stuff like that. It's kind of, you know, or on you know, like you say on social media too much or obsessively thinking about stuff. 
you know yeah. but it's, a, it's a process you know acting out sexually food do, do yeah. you know what I mean that's the other thing I, got, I mean I got into trouble on Twitter last year I think it was when um, pictures of Pete Doherty kind of oh, yeah. appeared and he'd put on a lot of weight yeah and so I tweeted um, you know it looks like Pete's put down the spoon and picked up the fork yeah hell yeah and people went, I got unfollowed by hundreds of people. People went wow. crazy. Now I understand yeah. it was a bit, it was a bit thoughtless and a bit, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't loving, mm. right? But I was just trying to be a bit, you know, I was being a bit silly, a bit funny. And and, and the fact is I, I would like to claim that as my own saying, but unfortunately yeah. someone far cleverer than me in, in, in Narcotics Anonymous came up with that. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's anyone who's been anyone who's been through addiction is well fucking familiar yeah. with, with the, the idea behind that as well. You, you get to about I, 18 months. I was going to say, if I, if I was finding those £10 notes in my first year or two, they were all going on fruit and nuts and Snickers, yeah. mate. <laughs> yeah, you just, you know, all the, all the you know, the, 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 everyone going out for dinner on a Friday night after a meeting. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. 18 months, you suddenly get fat. Yeah. And then you struggle with that stuff. And it's just the sort of, um, you know, swings and roundabouts of recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, people got angry with me about that. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a delicate, it's a delicate world out there. We've all got to be careful. Listen, I've kept you for such a long time and I'm really, really grateful for that, though. And um, I've learned a lot and I'm sure everyone listening will have done as well. So thanks for this and thanks for everything you're doing on Twitter and beyond, mate. And, you know, big up Neville Southall as well, obviously. (laughs) Nice one. Thanks. (laughs) Nice one. Cheers. Cheers, man. That was The Secret Drug Addict, a smart bloke with a powerful story to tell. And I've put a link to his account in the blurb under his pod. It's well worth a follow if you don't already. And also, if you don't already, then why not subscribe to the reset samdelaney.substack.com. You get access to extra content, including regular newsletters and extra podcasts, all sent straight to your inbox every week. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Reset Sam. Until next time, gang, thanks for listening. Be lucky. And don't let the dickheads get you down. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.